0: You're listening to First Fossil. Hello and welcome to First Basso, a show where we learn together how to take that first Basso toward becoming the best versions of ourselves. My name is Candace Olushala and today's special guest is someone that one of my dear friends connected me with, Hassan, and you've heard him on my podcast. You've heard me on his podcast. So I love it when I get to connect with people that I love um, and people that I love who they love as well. Um, so my guest today, she is a cancer survivor and she is a publisher. She recently published a book that's called Fast Fast Forward to Hope. And it actually became the number one new release on Amazon in the cancer category. So definitely probably one we should all check out. And her book is about her journey from fear to hope on the backdrop of her experience with stage four cancer, as much as it is an homage to facing and living life well, even with all these challenges. So without further ado, it is my pleasure and honor to introduce to you guys Indira Kur Alualia. Did I get that right? You got it perfectly. Yes, I love it. Her name is so pretty. How are Thanks. you doing, Indira? Thank you so much for being on my show today. It's really, really my honor.
1: I, uh-huh. I am so grateful for the amazing way you connect people. And even really touched that Hassan thought me worthy of introducing me to you for the show.
0: Yes, yes, man. It is it is truly an honor. I, I appreciate like when when Hassan gives a suggestion, I know it's a good one. So I'm really really happy to meet you and learn more about who you are and your first possible experience. But before we get into that, you know how how are you? How has it been during the pandemic for you? Um, where are you located right now? Um, what what's what's been going on with you these at least the last yeah. year, year and a half?
1: You know, it's, it's been a year where um, I understood gratitude even more.
2: Mm.
1: It's, um, and I also understood privilege. Wow. And I think I understood privilege in a way that um, I understood that I could put myself inside my house and shut the door and keep myself safe and have food, have income, have love, and be Mm -hmm. self-contained in this space that I have, which in itself is an, an enormous privilege when one compares to the world yeah. and how the majority of the people live. And and the trauma of what they're going through certainly transcends all boundaries. Mm. Um, and not, none of us escaped the challenge of what this time has been. But it's certainly a time where I realized how much I've been given. Mm. I also realized how much I have to serve.
0: Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I I resonate with that too. I mean, we've it's it's been such an interesting year to be able to connect with so many people all over the world through tragedy but also a sense of collected collective hope as well. And the waves between the tragedy and the hope that we're all going through, um, that has been a lot to, to take in, process, you know, have conversations about and be on this side of everything now where things are starting to kind of open up in some places. Some places are shutting down even more, just depending on where you are. And so it's just, you know, um, a lot of processing, I think has happened and,
1: and it's it's odd now being able to step out and know that uh it's it's still it's now a new world yes right? it's different from the one we left uh on march twelfth, 2020
0: yeah, so
1: yeah. It's, it's learning and choosing how we want to navigate this new world through the lessons we've learned without taking it for granted
0: so true oh man and it's, I feel like it's going to take us some time to figure out what a new normal is, because we're still not sure what that's going to look like. And it. I, I was really young when 9-11 happened. I was in fifth grade, sixth grade, sixth grade. I was in sixth grade when nine eleven happened, and... I just remember the world felt different. Yes, I didn't really know how to pinpoint it at that age, but I just knew that we had all taken this shift um, in one direction. It was, it felt like we felt more united because we'd all gone through something traumatic together. Um, but then I just, you know, the airports were different and how people were viewed were also different, was also different too. And I just remember feeling like, hmm, this doesn't feel the same as before. Um, So it's it feels like another wave of that. And I'm I'm curious to what this looks like, because this is it's not a terrorist attack. It's a virus. So it's just, you know, we kind of have to go based off of what the virus is doing to figure out what a new normal is. That's right. That's so. right. No, it's, it's interesting
1: that it feels the same as as seminal and invent that 9-11 was in terms of this. Mm-hmm. And in a short time frame of a, a short years in our own lifetimes, it's not history. It's happening to us.
0: Right.
1: And you're right. Even at that time, even though we became a community and it happened to all of us, to some of us, it happened in two different ways. You know, it happened because somebody threatened and killed people in our home. Mm. Right? Yeah. But stepping out as a brown person, as mm. a Sikh person, with the turban, yeah. um, we have to prove that we've left the same way for our country. Yes. And not to be persecuted because of what a terrorist did. Yeah. And in this scenario, again, as we look at COVID, there has been one impact that all of us have had, the risk of dying again, and how universal that risk became. Yeah. But how we each understood the risk was very different. Yes. Yes. And I think it really brings it back in that scenario in 9-11 with a father with the turban and a brother with the turban. Um, with me being, I think I was about eight months pregnant. Um, mm. And the fear of what is happening in my home. And how do I protect my child?
2: Right.
1: Uh, you know, this crazy feeling just as 9-11 was happening. and. Uh, And I was living closer to Dallas airport at that time.
2: Mm. And
1: I got a call from my father, come, you know, go away from that side because we just didn't know what was happening. And my first instinct was, okay, you know, hunker down. And with my big belly, how do I protect my child by hunkering on top of my belly?
2: Right.
1: And this incredible vulnerability that we have as human beings and this incredible love that we have for humanity. huge lessons about learning for me about how to stand up for what you believe in right regardless of how somebody else may perceive you
2: yeah and
1: and the extent to which we can love another
0: Mm. yeah yeah Yeah. that's true I, i think it it's unfortunate that it sometimes takes these kinds of things but it kind of if we allow if we allow it to, it helps us to recenter ourselves to see why we're all more alike than we want to admit a lot of times. sure, and that regardless of culture or race or religion, that we can go through something together and can understand or at least try to understand better how other people are processing it and it can be a universal understanding of empathy and care and love and unity but i also know that not everyone like you said processes these things the same so sometimes it just also makes people feel more divided and scared and alone Mm -hmm. or like they need to it's almost like the I can't think of the word but it's like it's like a protective mentality to protect self it's very defense mechanism yeah and you know it's because you just don't know you're unsure um so it's just you know depends on you know what is your fight or flight response in these situations. Do you lean into everyone else or do you back away and protect self Right. And and do what you can to self-preserve, right versus look out for even those you probably wouldn't think to look out for outside of a situation like this. So I, I do think it gives us a lot of self-reflective opportunities if we if we permit those opportunities to come our way.
1: No, absolutely. And yeah. we can't go it alone. Mm-hmm. right mean, we weren't created as a humanity to go it alone. Right. But we also are in this incredible race for survival, right, mm-hmm. where it feels like it's the competition of the fittest. And the narrative is that there isn't enough for everybody.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I will only succeed by taking rather than by sharing.
2: Yeah. And,
1: you know, we can't ignore it that even as COVID happened, we we saw a lot more killings publicly
2: Yeah,
1: and it's, it may be a situation where it happens to, you know, it's happened to one community, but we all should feel that same pain. We may not all have the same lived experience, but empathy to the point you made, I would feel the same way if my child or my parent was facing a risk as somebody of a different color. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when somebody you love is facing that sort of risk, it's not about anything but um, purity, right? You're not looking to take from somebody's, you're not trying to take somebody's resources or place in the world. You just want the safety of those you care about. Right. And I think fear is, fear can be a, used to be a divider. But if we understand somebody else's fear and somebody else's vulnerability, that can also build humanity because it's not separate from me or you. We right. all have similar fears and
0: needs. Yeah, we do. i I feel like that's such a perfect segue into your first Basso story because I know just from the title of your book, you understand fear Mm -hmm. on levels that not all of us do. And, you know, we can all say we've gone through a pandemic, but something like cancer is still very different from a pandemic. So please unpack your story and help us to kind of understand how how you went from that fear to hope experience.
1: You know, I have to tell the truth. Fear and hope coexist.
0: Mm, Paradoxed.
1: It is. And it it takes one spark to bring one up higher than the other. Mm. Uh, and I think the The lesson is not, in my mind, one of my lessons is not to pretend that I am stronger than fear, but is to create the space for hope, is to acknowledge where the boundaries of my power perhaps lie,
2: uh,
1: but utilize my power to create the existence that I can have. And, you know, I, I, I have been incredibly, incredibly fortunate. And much as I take that for granted on a day-to-day basis, um, I know that inherently. I was diagnosed wow. with advanced breast cancer with bone metastases from the base of my skull through my mid-thigh, which is what the test covered, wow. um, in April 2007. And so that diagnosis um, puts you square in the middle of fear. Mm. And hope came almost immediately in the form of my doctor, who had been uh, shepherding me through getting the biopsies and getting the tests and finding a system that I could hook onto to get some support. And um, I had walked over from doing the PET scan uh, that she'd recommended from the adjacent building to her office to just let her know look, thank you. I've done it. I will um, wait for the results. But, you know, and as I waited for her just to see if I could sneak in, just to see her for 30 seconds between her patients. I heard the receptionist answer a call from the center had just left and urgently paging the doctor. You know, nobody said my name, um, but I just knew that call was about me. Mm. And I just knew sitting there that uh, what we were trying to figure out is if the cancer and going in for the scan, if the cancer had spread from my breast. And I know when somebody picks up the phone and calls the doctor immediately, it's not a good sign. And so Dr. Karen Maser, who is an OBGYN um, in this Northern Virginia area, called me into her office and just got straight to business and said, it's spread. it's in your bones. And in my mind, you know, I'm the Ever, I mean, I'm, I think I'm programmed to be an optimist. And I'm like, okay, I'll take it in my little pinky finger. I, I I can handle that. And I kept saying, okay, but get clarity in my head. You know, where is it? And she kept saying, it's everywhere. And I said, where is it? I'm like, why isn't she answering? Tell me it's in that pinky finger. Mm-hmm. And she said, it's everywhere. And then she sort of reached across her table and took my hands as um, it started sinking in that everywhere meant more than I had understood was possible. Yeah. And she said, promise me you will fight. Mm -hmm. Now, This is a human being who's delivering significantly bad news. And she's pulled herself together as a human being and as a doctor. And somebody who in that moment is saying, I'm giving you bad news, but I'm telling you, fight. Wow. And in those moments, I have to say, Candice, I mean, there are cycles that you go through. Um, and it's similar to this, the grieving process, right? But she gave me seconds because I know this woman. She wasn't about to let my hand go till I promised. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, this is crazy this is not happening oh my god this is happening she's she's not making this up what can i do the fear of it and then saying okay let's deal with it because i have no choice i have to promise and so in i got fear and hope together and i was given a mandate by somebody i respect to fight mm. And I also knew as I was going through this, my father, who was a cancer survivor at the time, was sitting outside waiting for me with enormous faith, faith larger than anything I've seen in this universe. I had a five-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son at home. And my marriage was incredibly challenged. Mm. And I was going to fight as I am fighting today. I remain in treatment with God's grace. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate enough to have a treatment that works. We're keeping the cancer under control. Mm. And it's giving me license to live my life in a way that I can only thank God. Because my children are grown, not fully. I'm not done I'm not gonna leave them <laughs> anytime soon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I feel like I have the
0: road ahead of me to start. yeah. Wow. oh man, that is I I I love the role that your doctor plays in that how like she did not allow you to come up with any other option other than to fight
1: that's right that's right i have to say that i've also uh had doctors who gave me you know I, what i say in the book is they gave me the death stamp right they told me when i would die it mm. gave me two to four years right and i didn't really fully exhale till day one after year four. Mm. And one of the reasons I wrote this book is for the medical professionals, for them to recognize while they're doing their job, they have the power to create hope. Mm. Doesn't have to be unrealistic, but hope doesn't have to be by the book. Hope can be something that is delusional, as I say sometimes about the way I work. You know, when you, as an example, when you're an entrepreneur and you're creating a product in this world, you want to have delusional hope. Why can't we have that about our own bodies or our own selves or our own potential?
0: Yeah. I, I have a couple questions. First off how were you how were you physically feeling when you were told that it had spread everywhere? Did it feel like it had spread everywhere? like were you feeling weak everywhere? were you already tired? had you already gone through radiation, chemo taken breast cancer meds? You know it
1: um it had spread before we found it. And it's funny in that it had spread. I, as I say, I was diagnosed in um, towards the end of May. Actually, the process of getting the diagnosis process started in April. It took till the end of May to get this diagnosis, and we've focused on my breast. We've focused on the the issue I was having in my breast. You know, most people think about breast cancer and they think it only happens to to women. Breast cancer happens to, to men and women. Um, breast cancer is not just a lump. Breast cancer has different forms in which it shows itself. Um, for me, we thought it started in the breast because my symptoms started with a thickening under my right nipple and then a pain uh, actually it started with the pain a very odd pain that I have never experienced and never want to experience ever again mm. but from the tip of my right nipple to the base of my chest wall it was a rod of pain it was a live pulsating energy Ooh. and it was constant and when I was writing the book, I could feel it again. Mm. And as I speak to it now, I I don't want it to enter my body or my consciousness. Mm. My body is cleansed of it now mm-hmm. with faith and with science, certainly. But then after that pain, there was a thickening under my right nipple. And we started investigating that. But in November, the year before, I had been having severe pain in my back and in my hips. I was 38 at the time, and I couldn't climb stairs. And I was using every, you know, I walking was hard. It was incredibly painful. And we were doing MRIs for it, but we thought it was a herniated disc. We didn't connect that the cancer had started aggressively spreading even before it showed itself in the breast. Wow. So there there are signs that, you know, a key lesson is never ignore any pain, right? If you're looking at it from a perspective of health, um, there are signs and sometimes there aren't, you know, and that's not your fault. But when there are signs, be vigilant, right? And till you, even when I had an explanation And it wasn't resolving, and I was working, and I was busy with the kids, and I didn't have time for myself. I may have ignored it a little bit more than I should have. I should have pursued it more. I'm not taking on guilt, but I'm sharing this because somebody else can catch it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And how did you... How did you talk to your children about what you were going through? Like, what was their understanding of what mom was experiencing? You know, you have to say,
1: Candace, they know because children don't necessarily communicate just with words. They understand their parents' vibrations and they understand their tone and they. That language had already told them that something wasn't right in the household,
2: mm.
1: and I didn't really know initially how much to tell them because it, when the crisis is as extreme as it is, um, and you're still looking for answers, you don't want to. You don't want to spell out doubt for the kids. Right. So once we knew what it was, and I got some advice from another incredible organization called Life with Cancer, it um, the advice I got from the counselor there, Jenny Eckert, was the children don't know the meaning of the word cancer. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't associate it with fear. So if you use the words, right, because if they heard from my neighbor or somebody randomly who's well-intentioned, I'm so sorry, your mother has cancer. This is not going well. That's what they would take. So I I tried to own the message that um, initially when they were that little, it was more about explaining that I was sick and I wasn't able to carry them as much um, that I would need to put on a wig and I showed them the wig and they could play with it. And so it wasn't foreign to them. I tried to, I couldn't hide it from them right they had to because they already knew but also i didn't know what the outcomes were going to be right and so you want to keep them as much in the know as they can take on but as they got a little older we spent um, a little bit of time just explaining and using the words and so much so Candace, it was interesting. I was at a grocery store with my daughter and it must've been during uh, breast cancer month and, and the can, and you know, the Susan becoming fundraising uh, came on and as she was skipping along the, the cart with me, she must've been under 10 for sure, like eight or nine. And she's, you know what? It's a good thing you got cancer because we're not scared of it. Mm. Like, all right, maybe I learned something from my daughter every day, which is still the case. But I think that we create fear and give fear more control hmm. when we make it um, a barrier we can't get through.
2: Hmm.
1: And so if we if we keep walking, sometimes we don't have to push it down, we just need to keep walking. And that one step maybe just as much as we can do. And that may be enough, but you know, your children are watching, right? Your the ripple effect that one human being has on another is something we can try to take responsibility for by doing the best we can. And sometimes it doesn't have to be more than getting out of bed.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. That's i'm I'm processing your experience i I've not had cancer Bingo. but <laughs> but i I have had uterine fibroids and i I like your optimism cuz I didn't I didn't start off that way at all. <laughs> I I was not optimistic at all. I I was concerned and just trying to keep things as normal as I could make them. And I don't know I don't know about your experience but I know I didn't want to really draw attention to what I was going through, so I just, I wasn't good at letting people know what was going on, and I was even worse at asking for help if I needed it. Mm -hmm. Did you did you go through anything like that at any time where you felt like, you're I I wanna, I don't really want to explain to you what I'm going through. Right. I don't want to hear that. I'm sorry. You know, right. I, it's like, uh, I know you're sorry. I just don't really want to hear it. Right. I'd rather just pretend like I'm fine mm-hmm. until I go home and then I can cry and I can scream and I can pray and I can talk to my mom or something, but I just didn't. I wanted to hide as much as I could from people for as long as I could until there was a point where I couldn't hide it anymore. Right.
2: Um,
0: did you, did you go through
1: that? Yes. No, I've had similar experiences. I have to say everybody's reaction is the right reaction, right? What your reaction to your situation was right for you. Right. And your reaction and your, your experience of it today is different than when it was earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm speaking from a retrospective perspective. It was 14 years ago when I started, but to tell you the truth, I've just gone, you know, I still remain in treatment. I go for IV treatments every three weeks and I'm in the middle of my testing schedule, which I do every four weeks. And tomorrow I have three doctor's appointments and to get the results So I I understand very completely um, that there is pain that is not just physical. There's the psychic pain of carrying the challenge. There's the pain of putting other people through it. There's the pain of how do we share in a way that doesn't bring pain to others and doesn't make me dwell in my own pain. Um, There's also a lot of space where we have to understand it for ourselves before we can put it into words. And honestly, there is stigma. There is bias against any kind of less than perfection. We live in a world where we glamorize the truth in every medium. It makes a difference in how much we say, whether somebody will date us, whether we'll keep the job, whether we'll get advancement. So it's with reason sometimes that we can't tell our truth. And I'm not very good at asking for help. My brother will particularly attest to that. Mm -hmm. but like i said we're not in this alone because even our pain affects other people right and ultimately i at very early i decided to be open about it um i it's a, i'm an odd combination of being a very private person and being a very open person especially when i feel that there's a bigger stake than me. You know, in, in a lot of ways, that was the book. But when I was first open about it, it was very selfish. And I'll tell you why. Because, it, you know, in those first moments when you hear of somebody's pain of any kind, you have, you. I feel like we elicit a positive reaction where we're sending them positivity or a prayer or a good vibe and I selfishly wanted all the prayers I could get I selfishly wanted that help because I knew I couldn't do it alone I didn't have that I wanted God to hear how desperately I wanted to raise my children Mm. and I was willing to get all the help I could for that And there are strangers that I want to thank, you know, for every prayer list that people put me on. um, There are people who overheard my conversations and offered support. So in doing that, slowly, I was able to be open about my vulnerability. But I also realized how good people are and how pure people are. At that base, they want to take away the pain by offering that moment, that, that moment. To, it may only last one moment and that's enough because that energy is incredibly. Powerful. So it's, I think each person's reaction is the right one. And I think as you go through an evolution for yourself, you sometimes open up because you need advice, or you need help, or you're angry, and that's absolutely okay as well. Um, for me, it was a question of saying, and you know, writing this this book, which is not what you know. It's a, it, You don't always want to put out your deepest, darkest emotions to people you don't know. And actually, you sometimes don't want to do that to the people. You don't want to do that to the people you love the most, because you know, as you go through a situation, sometimes, you know, whether it's health or abuse or or uh, financial hardship or racism or microaggressions, you first deal with your own shame or your own. Um, I say shame, and I don't mean it. To be negative because we take on the burden as weakness or wrong, right? This is something bad that's happening to me and um, we we don't want to bring light to it. But if we look at it and say, somebody else is having the same experience and I can share and lighten my burden but also Share what I did to get out of it. Maybe it'll open the door or spark an idea for the next person. I don't know if that makes sense. I kind of went off quite on intent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, if you can get that spark for someone else, it just causes a... I think it causes like a chain reaction to keep going which is nice which is which is
1: because I've been fortunate you know I've been given so much
0: yeah I know I I know that I like that you said that people on a base level actually want to help like it's innate in most people to want to alleviate something from you and it's interesting how in in my experience I think people always say like God won't give you more than you can bear I don't necessarily believe that I feel like God will give us something to allow us to also realize that we can't rely on ourselves hmm. so we either go we're going to go to him we're going to go to someone else or we're going to go to him and someone else because that's why everyone is here we're here to help one another
2: right
0: so sometimes i think he's totally okay with us having more than we can bear so we can learn that lesson of you don't have to be a superhero for yourself. Like that's you're allowed to have moments of weakness and it be completely and totally acceptable. It's, it's humanity. That is the humanness of who you are. So I think that was actually a huge lesson that God worked on me about where I I knew I had reached that point where I couldn't just keep it inside, and I had to say something. Most uh-huh. it would probably be dangerous if I didn't say something. Right. And then I realized once I did tell people, now people are upset that I wasn't telling them beforehand. That's right. <laughs> They're like, "Why didn't you tell me? Like, are you've been going through this for how long? And you've been faking it for how long? And you." Right. We lived, you know, like we lived down the street or we're right next door or we're at church or something. And we could right. have been there for you. You've been suffering in silence. And I'm like, because I, like you said, is that I don't want to be a burden. Yes. I want to make sure that everyone is happy. And I'm watching people, you know, they're having kids and they're yes. getting engaged or they got this new job or and like all these good things. Or they're already going through their own personal thing and I don't want to add to that right you know so it's I even I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and he he noticed that I was off but he also knew I wasn't talking about it so he just didn't say anything I didn't want to say anything because I knew you know he was under he's it was a DACA he was under DACA his family he had his brothers and his brother and sister were under DACA and his oh, in Mexico his mom had just left his he almost got deported I had to help him with that process and then his little brother got deported and it's like I watched all of these things like as he was losing family members to Mexico and I'm over here like I just have fibroids like I'm not I'm not losing my family's not being deported back to Africa or anything like I'm good you know so I tried to just keep it to myself and then I've it was that psyche right right, that finally hit and it I broke down in front of him and he was like hold on like you could have told me this and I'm like no I couldn't because you had your own thing going and he was like No, that probably would have made it easier because then we're both going through something and we can like lean into each other versus I'm going through something and you're not, not that he's like, not that I wanted you to go through something, but that that would have been a connection for us to be able to support each other in a different way. And I would, now that I know this, like. Now I'm going to be checking on you like every day. Like, are you, how are you doing? Are you are you awake? Are you are you in pain? Do you need me to bring you pain meds? Do you need a heating pad? Like, what do you want? Um, and so I I had to get. It was so uncomfortable though. Like my whole body felt the discomfort in people saying, "Man, I wanted to help," and I'm going like, "I hate that," which is funny because right. I innately do the same thing with other people when they don't tell me when they're going through something. And I'm going, I, I could have helped. Like, why didn't you tell me? So it's like, I, it's yeah. so odd how we, we want to help people, but then we feel shame or guilty when people want to do the same thing. Absolutely. hear you. I absolutely hear you. You know, your pain is worthy, you know, uh-huh. just as
1: worthy as somebody else's pain. Yes. Yeah. and it's okay it's absolutely okay to admit to your own pain i think we also i like you don't want to be a burden and i don't want to inconvenience anybody else but i'm sure i'm sure you like me would go out to help somebody if they needed it without skipping a heartbeat yeah but we don't give others the same right right yeah. Yeah. and so in some ways it's it's about feeling worthy and not looking at it as a burden mm. and legitimizing your pain it doesn't matter and this is something that you know i really have thought about a bit your pain isn't lesser than somebody else's pain even if theirs seems extreme to you you know the pain your body is in Mm-hmm. Or your psyche is in.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and I think that we sometimes kind of judge pain on a meter, you know? Mm. and And that kind of makes you question your capacity for yourself, right? In that, why is it that we feel that we can't talk about our own pain? You know, it's the issue of vulnerability aside, we've talked a little bit about feeling a burden and feeling shame about something that's private. Um, We haven't normalized a lot of what we go through. Right. We cancer is invisible. I look healthy. You know, you look healthy. Do we really want to open the door to pity? We don't want pity. Right. We we don't want somebody telling us the, all the negative stuff that can come. We don't want false hope. So you know we also don't want to open it up for somebody else for us to judge them when they're trying to help us. So we just shut down in a lot of ways. Um, but on the but you know if if we were if somebody was to say well what could I do to help you right just listen. You don't have the answer any better than I do, right. but allow me to share my fear with you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't tell me everything is going to be okay, but just say, I'm with you as you go through this. Um, and that—that's really that's really, you know, like the point I was making about the doctor giving me two to four years. That didn't help. <laughs> you know, it helped. It made me hold my breath. Somebody else not saying, promise me you're going to fight, didn't tell me that my lifespan was going to increase or decrease. She just said, put yourself into this. Own it. Right? And so very often, and this is, this is why I love the term empathy that you used at the beginning. We allow giving the other empathy. We don't accept empathy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's because we're trying to preserve ourselves again. We're trying to safeguard ourselves. You know, disease is one thing, right? Abuse is something else. Um, it's where, um, or even if you look at physical illness versus mental illness, we're okay to talk about cancer, but can I use the word nipple? Right? I mean, or am I sexualizing it? Right. It's normal it's a normal body part right until we own what the problem is we can't solve it mm. and if we are struggling today in 2021 about whether we can use the word nipple when talking about breast cancer <laughs> are we really going to be able to talk about depression are wow. we really going to be able to talk about emotional and physical and sexual abuse openly right and it doesn't matter what your challenge is. You're not alone. Because mm. somebody else next door is going through something. And somebody else is there to open the door for you to get out. But you have to be able to use the words. You have to be able to say yourself, I want this to change. I want this to be better.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: when you're at that stage, you can open the door for somebody else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the acknowledgement and just, I I think my my word for a couple of years has been marinate, like just yes. marinate in right. what you're going through, and literally you just look at it see it for what it is, own that, process that, because it's probably going to be there tomorrow. So you might as well just look at it dead in the eyes and say what it is. And from there, you can do what you need to do, but in not saying what it is and not looking at it and not claiming it as at least your reality then you're running out you're trying to run away from something that can't leave you until you 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 see that it's with you
1: absolutely you can't run away from yourself yes yes you can't and, do that and even if you try to run away from the situation the cancer wasn't going to run away from me right right. I have to follow up on that one symptom,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know when the signs tell you, look, there is this pain or this this issue doesn't feel right. Don't ignore it, because when you let it escalate, it's harder to find. Yeah, but if we catch it early, you know, I, I in in the work I do sometimes, like, I you say that sometimes organizations. Systemically, you know, they, they act on liability, not at risk. Mm. Jump in when you see the risk. Don't wait for the house to burn down.
0: Right.
1: Right. And I think it, it, we can't do that unless we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with ourselves. Right. Sometimes, you know, we're too busy to hear ourselves. We're, mm. We have to put food on the table and pay the rent. Who has time to get to a doctor's appointment? Or who has time to solve a situation that's brewing? Because the the logistics of the next task are more immediate, Mm. and unless we hear ourselves, our problems will spew over into all parts of our lives. Right. So it's and the other thing you know from that perspective, the reverse is also true. Because I have cancer, it doesn't mean I'm not capable. I have cancer in one part of who I am. The rest of me is still functional. I still have my dreams and my desires. I still have to do right by my body, by eating right, sleeping right, exercising. Okay, I have to work on all of that. (laughs) But it can't own all parts of you either, right? right? And it shouldn't overpower all parts of you, because that's when it's harder to work through the challenge. So let it be in the box it's in. Catch it just when it starts rattling in that box.
2: You know, be alert.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, (laughs) I, so I have a friend. We've been pretty much like best friends since college and I'm thinking of what she's gone through because she she's been diagnosed with pregnancy induced congestive heart failure.
2: Oh.
0: My. And yeah, and she's in her early thirties like me. She's a mom of two little girls. She's had her second child last year. That's when she was diagnosed and her oldest daughter is about three and of course she has her husband as well and she's only been married for about I think going on five years this year and I'm thinking about a lot of what you've talked about and a lot of the conversations she and I have had with you know it's like how are you feeling um are you feeling like a burden? How are you feeling when you see your kids and then you, you just don't know how long am I going to see my kids be my kids? Um, Or how long do I get to be with my husband as my husband? Or, um, you know, for me, I, I still deal with fibroids. So, you know, going through the, you know, how's it going to be when it's my turn to have kids and, how am I and my future husband going to process through this and you know what can we do now in the moment Mm -hmm. and how do we lean on each other when we need to you know things like that and I know I know there are so many people that are just There are suffering and silence, whether it's a physical ailment or it's mental or it's emotional. Pain. Pain pain transcends so many things, but so can hope. And with, especially after this pandemic, you just... You know that a lot of people are processing or they're trying to, and some people feel like they can't, they can't do it all today. And I don't think every anyone should be able to process everything they're going through all today. Sometimes it takes chunks and bits and comes in waves, and you have to revisit something again. But for people that are, I guess, suffering. Or trying, they might not necessarily be. I, I don't know if I want to use the word suffering as much as they're just taken aback or shocked or surprised. Kind of like you were in the. I need you to tell me where the cancer is. Like that had it that didn't like sink in. Um. How do you? Well, before I ask that question, I. I guess, from my understanding of what you said, your your first step or your first Basso experience was choosing to make room for the hope that your fight was not going to be in vain if you chose to do that.
1: Right. I mean, it's, I think that's well put, Candace. I mean, In that I want hope to be delusional. I don't want to put a limit on it. It may not start as an avalanche. It may just start as a thought, one shred of light. It may just be somebody looking at you and saying, come on, let's go do this. It's um, my first tap, even before that, even before that, I think was looking at, you know, when the, the process of the diagnosis had started, it's funny, maybe I understood something that was happening, I, I went into planning mode, right? I went into, okay, um, talking to my then ex-husband, trying to sort things out in my head of what's where and what does he need to know. Um, I'm a Virgo. I'm just incredibly practical sometimes. But I think my first step was forward movement. mm mm-hmm right i refused to be contained
2: mm. i
1: refused to be contained by somebody else or forget somebody else by anything that would stop me in my mission which was i have two babies
2: yeah
1: right so let's i mean whether it was the practical of do i have a will right what what is it that i want my um, or, or do we, you know, how do we handle insurance? Um, everything comes together at one time, right? You still, your life hasn't stopped. You haven't stopped paying rent. You've right. got to plan for that if things are going to change. right? And honestly, I think I wanted to barrel through it. I wanted to keep moving. I wasn't going to be, Held back. I hadn't even called it hope then. I just was. Um, I guess it's that's it. I just needed to keep moving, and it then took on the momentum of hope, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: you know, my father used to say this uh, right after a funeral. I mean, right after somebody dies. There's so much to do, right? And Traditions are created to keep you busy so you can process your grief as much as you can in a step-by-step process. And maybe something parallel was happening to me. I was dealing with so much pain and grief and fear and doubt. And I knew, I already knew something wasn't working right. Right. So it wasn't that I needed a piece of paper necessarily to tell me something was wrong. I needed the piece of paper to tell me what was wrong and how I could fix it. Right, but by keeping busy, by living life, I lived. I didn't stop living. Yeah. Right. And so, as I think about, I mean, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but I still have stuff to do, and I'm going to keep doing
2: it. Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, it's a little bit delusional, crazy, what have you, but. I've been in enough situations where I know what feeling constrained means. Mm. And this is where, as a human being, I choose freedom. I choose faith. I choose my sense of belief in myself that I will fulfill my life's purpose. And I try hard not to focus on the flip side of it, of the fear and the doubts and if it comes I'm not going to fight it the fear right I'll accept it because that's part of my being human but I'll try to remind myself
2: maybe there is still that hope that I can rest on yeah man
0: that is so beautiful so if you If you were able to sit down with someone like my friend or someone else dealing with a diagnosis that they weren't, maybe they didn't initially process it the way that they wanted to or they're not handling it very well right now, what from your experience would you tell them to, Like, what, what, if there's like three, three key things that you want, you would want to give them that you've taken away from your experience, what would you, what would you say to them? You know, I, I'd say I want to listen because her journey
1: is different than mine. And I want to give her a safe space to tell the full truth, the truth that, She can't share with her partner or her friend because she doesn't want to hurt you as we were talking earlier. And we have to release our demons. Mm. We have to freely and completely release our demons. Only then do they not overpower us. Yeah. So I want to listen. I'm not going to judge. I just want to be with you. I think the second thing I would say is you're important. You matter. And everything you're going through is real. The pain and the desires. And then I would say fight. Fight for what you want. Because then the fight is easy because you already decided you're going to win. Yes. You've already decided why you're doing this.
0: Yeah. Wow. I love that. I think all of us can take a page out of that to be able to sit down and listen and just sit in that space with someone, even if you don't fully understand it, just sit with them and allow them the opportunity to be vulnerable with you in that moment and you don't often have to say anything you don't have to feel like you have an answer for them sometimes that's really all that's needed is that someone took the time to just hear me Mm -hmm. and that's that's what I that's what I could handle today um And truly also accepting that you don't have, you don't have to be held back. and you can still hold on to purpose and desire and dreams, passions through it. and that might actually be fuel. Like you said, to fight still and continue to give your some, give yourself something steady to focus on, like a dream that you've had. Yes, like don't let it go because you have something that's weighing down on you. Use it as a way to give you focus to push through and see to the end of where that desire is taking you. I
1: love it absolutely, absolutely. We all have finite time. Yeah. But our desires don't have
2: to be finite.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love, love, love that. You are a beautiful soul. I'm so glad that Hassan put us together because this this is truly an honor to hear from you and learn from you and this is probably one of my favorite episodes right now. I'm just going to tell it plain. Y'all. I'm just going to tell you all right now. This is, this was very heartfelt and I I really resonated with everything that you you've said. Um and I know I know that a lot of people are gonna appreciate your honesty and openness to share the paradox of living with both fear and hope and how they actually kind of help you propel being able to have both in the mix of what we face every day. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing your first Bosso experience. How, how can people look for you or, Contact you. Do you have email, no, social absolutely. media? Yeah, yes, first of all, thank
1: you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to just be with you and thank you for sharing your truth. Thank you for just making it as though we've talked forever yeah. <laughs> as openly as we did. And I feel like there are um, I feel like I'm this is a gift. This is a gift for me to be here and I'm grateful um, and I pray for those who listen yeah. and for us to stay, stay connected. Yes. Um, please. Yeah. And yes, no, I am at fast forward to hope.com. Uh, the book is on Amazon, but I'm on Facebook and uh, I'm on all the social media. I'm now learning how to do it, I'm trying to bribe my kids to help me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, um, this is the journey I want. This is the journey I'm grateful to be on. And if there's any way in which these dialogues continue, allow people to feel and own their own truth and their own power and build their hope. I'm grateful.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. I'm so, I'm so happy that um, yeah, you've, you've taken this time to unpack your story. And guys, if you need to reach out to her, obviously she is an open book, literally. <laughs> she has one on Amazon, guys. So <laughs> please talk with her, um, let her know what you're going through and she will absolutely listen and sit in that space with you. And it's always really nice to know that other people can understand what you're experiencing or what you're going through, even if it's not the exact same thing, but there's a level of connection there that you can go, I, I can process this too. Like I can imagine being where you are and I just want to validate all of your feelings and all of your frustrations and just sit with you in that space so you know that you're not alone in this experience. So I think all of us need that. All of us need someone like that. Mutually. We all, you're there for, you're there for so many people with the work you do. Oh, thank you. I, I hope, I hope to, as, as my brand grows, I, I, I hope and pray that I honestly, I just want more opportunities to sit with people and what they're going through. That's, I think that's honestly one of the greatest gifts we can give people is to sit in that space with them. Any way that God will allow me to do that, I am open and humbled to be able to have that opportunity because it really impacts lives to just I'm be there.
1: I can tell you it does. Yeah. Thank you for giving me this opportunity, truly.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for taking the opportunity. Um, and Hassan. I know you're listening. Thank you for putting us together. You're grateful to Hassan. Yes, we are. We are so grateful to him. Please, guys, check out his podcast. That's PTX to me. Really good show. Um, (laughs) A little plug for him over there. But thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. If there are future topics that you want me to to address, any questions you want me to answer, any guests that you're thinking of that you think would be great to share their stories here, please send them my way. If you resonated with this story, please, please send me messages post on our on my posts about it please reach out to indira she i mean amazing and we want we want to hear from you guys and so just lay it on us we will we can t- sit in sit in all of that with you guys um, if you want to reach me i'm on most socials at first basal and I also have my email, hola at And then you can also text my business number, 859 uh, 800 I do read the text messages. I do respond to them. And now that I am fully and completely done with my master's, I might actually get back to you within 24 hours. So <laughs> I'm, like, I'm catching up with life, guys. So um Congratulations. Yes. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's um, terrific. So nice to to be finished with with school. It's also weird because um, I'm used to having homework at all times. So I <laughs> feel like I don't know what to do, but I have the freedom to figure out what to do and fill in that space with something fun. So um, pray for me, y'all, because I I was struggling yesterday just sitting at at my house going, so what do people do when they don't have homework? i'm <laughs> just like i don't even know what that what does that mean and so um but yeah i'm i'm definitely grateful to be released from the educational sphere into the real world i guess now um but yeah please please reach out love to hear from you guys and as i've told you guys in the last couple of episodes i am rebranding or i guess i'm yeah, I'm rebranding First Bossel and going through that transition. So if you see things kind of slow down on my socials right now, it's because I'm trying to get it together with my team that I'm building. Thank you guys so much for all your support, whether that's through just listening, sharing the podcast, being a patron. If you still want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash First um, any way that you've bought t-shirts or supported my sponsors in any way that also helps to support this podcast and other content creation I have and building my brand. So I I just appreciate all of you guys and the, the love and support I've gotten this year has been overwhelmingly amazing. So thank you guys for all of that. Until next time, please continue to stay safe. Please do what you can to keep yourself safe and the people around you safe. Whether or not you decide to get the vaccine, just make sure to think of both yourself and others so that way we can get through this together. Um, And sit in those spaces, guys. Sit in those spaces and hopefully we'll we'll see more people Experiencing the paradox of allowing for fear and hope to reside in the same space. So, until next time, you guys take care, Indira. Thank you, and thank we you so much. How wonderful. Take care. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye.